C. diff, spores, and more is brought to you by Clorox Healthcare, trusted solutions for your infection prevention needs. Visit us on the web at CloroxHealthcare.com. Welcome to C. diff, spores, and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to the program, and thank you for joining us today. We would like to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, for making this program possible. Visit the Clorox Healthcare website to learn more about their products keeping environments safer. CloroxHealthcare.com forward slash Radio. It's a great pleasure to introduce our guest joining us today. We have Dr. Richard Hopt, Vice President, Medical Development, Scientific and Clinical Affairs at Pfizer, where he serves as at as the global franchise lead for pipeline vaccines, Dr. Katherine Jensen will be joining us, Senior Vice President and Head of Vaccine Research and Development at Pfizer Incorporated, and Dr. Chris Weber, Senior Director of Vaccines Clinical Research and Development and Clinical Program Lead for Pfizer's Clostridium Difficile Vaccine. Joining us today to discuss C. difficile prevention, evaluating the role of vaccines. At this time, I would like to re- welcome our first guest, Dr. Richard Hopt, Vice President, Medical Development, Scientific, and Clinical Affairs at Pfizer, where he serves as the global franchise lead for pr- pipeline vaccines. Welcome to the show, Dr. Hopt. Thanks, Nancy. How are you? I'm fine, and thank you so much for taking time to join us today. We are very excited to have you here and discuss the vaccines on the rationale for C. difficile vaccines. And before we discuss Pfizer's C. difficile vaccine, doctor, can you start by telling us about Pfizer vaccines? <laughs> yeah, the C. difficile vaccine. Can you tell us about Pfizer vaccines? Yeah, Pfizer has a, a, a long and rich history in vaccine research and development that dates back over 100 years into the early 1900s. The Pfizer vaccines, and, and that includes the predecessor companies, Wyeth and Letterly and Praxis Biologicals, has actually played a really pivotal role addressing deadly infectious diseases. Um, and this is, a, you know, from a global perspective, including uh, smallpox, polio, diphtheria, and haemophilus influenza type B. And today, Pfizer continues to research and develop novel vaccines based on new delivery systems and technologies. Um, And to this point, Pfizer's recent efforts in the last couple of decades have resulted in vaccines to help prevent bacterial infections like pneumococcal pneumonia and bacterial meningitis. And then, and finally, uh, you know, our vaccine research program really focuses on the, on the life continuum. Um, we, we develop vaccines across pediatric, adolescent, as well as adult health. Um, we're working currently on a vaccine to help protect newborns against um, a pathogen such as group B streptococcus, uh, an infection um, that is acquired in newborns um, from their mothers, and, and our program is, is aimed at vaccinating um, those pregnant mothers. Uh, in this effort, we've received a grant from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to help advance this vaccine, especially in the lower and middle income countries. We're also working on the development of vaccines for potentially deadly adolescent and adult infections, including meningococcal disease, pneumococcal disease, and, um, and diseases caused by Staphylococcus aureus, and as you mentioned, Clostridium difficile. And thank you, doctor. And can you build on your comment regarding adult health? I think most people associate vaccines with children, whether as infants or going back to school or going away to college. How can a vaccine help beyond adolescence? In the, in the past century, uh, we have really seen the power of vaccines in, in protecting children and in pediatric health. You know, and, and as a pediatrician myself, I, I, I really have um, personal experience with the public health value of of vaccines and what they've meant for childhood health. Um, For children, the advent of vaccines has been one of the greatest public health achievements of all time. It's resulted in the control, elimination, or in some cases near elimination of many, many infectious diseases that were once pervasive and and sometimes fatal. Vaccination is is really a critical tool for for pediatricians in helping to save lives, and they prevent an estimated 6 million deaths each year. Importantly, uh, vaccines not only reduce the risk of developing certain diseases, 
they, they can also help prevent the spread of disease in the community. So by getting vaccinated, you're not only protecting yourself, but in some cases also indirectly helping to protect your family, your friends, and the community at large. And then to your question about the, the adult health, over the more recent years, we're realizing the potential of vaccines in helping protect adults, um, including the older adults. In this older adult population, vaccines can be a critical tool to help prevent serious illness, hospitalizations, and, and even death. And, and as you may know, as we age, our immune systems age as well and become less um, capable at functioning. And you, you couple this with the common um, underlying conditions that occur in older age, such as uh, hypertension, um, cardiopulmonary disease, diabetes, these kinds of um, events place this older age adult group at higher risk for certain infection diseases, um, especially Clostridium difficile infection. As such, it really creates an unmet need for the protective health for older adults. So in recent years, more vaccines have been and are currently being developed to help prevent diseases occurring in older adults, including uh, pneumococcal pneumonia and seasonal influenza. Thank you, Doctor. And Doctor, why is adult health of particular interest to Pfizer? Well, you know, Pfizer's focus on, on helping to keep healthy people healthy. It sounds kind of um, like a cliche, but it's really true. You know, we, 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 along with the greater public health community, recognize this increasing focus on adult health. Um, and, and, and beyond that, it's, it's really also the, the the preservation of functionality as people age, not only being healthy, but being functionally healthy. And so as people are living longer, we want to um, help them to live well. Uh, And so as Pfizer continues to advance our overall pipeline, we have specifically been looking at vaccines as a way to address unmet medical needs in adult populations. And Pfizer's investment in vaccine research and development to help prevent C. difficile infection is part of that commitment. This is a disease with a significant unmet medical need and new approaches to combat Clostridium difficile infection are really necessary. Right, and thank you so much for that, doctor. And can you tell me more about why a vaccine to help prevent for C. difficile infections is needed? Um, Yeah, I'm gonna focus, There, there really are a number of factors that support the need for a, a C. difficile vaccine. I, I'm going to focus on four of those, so let me review them one at a time. Um, first of all, at a population level, there's a, a, a significant and high burden of disease for um, um, related to C. difficile infection. And to make it easier, I, I'm, instead of saying C. Clostridium difficile infection or C. difficile infection, I may just use the nomenclature CDI from now on because that's um, the accepted... Uh, abbreviation, if you will, for, for those infections. Exactly. So, Clostridium difficile is the most, it's really the most common cause of antibiotic-associated diarrhea in the healthcare setting and is increasing concern worldwide. Um, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in, in 2015 published um, their analysis of, of CDI rates in the United States and estimated that there were 453,000 cases of CDI in the U.S. in the year 2011. And, and to put that in perspective, realize that's the entire population of Atlanta, Georgia. Um, that same study noted that there are approximately 29,000 deaths were associated with C. difficile infection. And again, if you want to put that number in perspective, that's about the same number of deaths that occurred due to car accidents in the, in the same year. And then if you think about it from a societal perspective, the indirect costs of CDI are substantial, and they include things like um, uh, lost work and contribution to society, loss of productivity, the caregiver and child care costs that can be associated, as well as um, the reduced quality of life. Um, and, and for all these reasons, again, at a population level, the CDC has classified C. difficile infection as an urgent public health threat. Um, that requires aggressive and immediate um, action. Um, now I want to focus on the, the, the second factor, which is really more of at the individual level. Uh, the individual 
patient impact of a CDI, CDI infection is also significant. Um, mortality rates, for example, um, for hospital-acquired CDI, they range from something less than 10% to even as high as 40% in some of the more severe cases. And we know that there's a, a significant recurrence rate of infection. So individuals who have one event of CDI have about a 25% risk of having a recurrence, a second event. And those who have a second have even a greater chance of having another recurrence. As many as 65% of those have um, more than those, those um, two events of CDI. And, you know, as we've done a lot of work in this area, the, the, the voices of the patients really, um, really clearly demonstrate the, the need for a, a C. difficile vaccine. Um, you know, we've heard from people that, that speak of CDI as being um, an, an agonizing experience, um, so much so that some of them are, um, it significantly reduces their willingness to even accept antibiotics, even when those are indicated and, re, and required given um, the severe illnesses they're suffering from. It's important to note that even healthy individuals that get infected can suffer greatly from CDI. Um, they can lose excessive weight in a, in a very short time period. And many other patients frequently suffer through exacerbations of other underlying medical conditions. So at a, at a patient level, it's a, it's a very serious and significant event for them. Um, the third factor that I wanted to address that supports the need for a vaccine is that the risk factors for CDI infection or C. difficile infection, excuse me, um, make it really unpredictable. Clostridium difficile, the bacteria that leads to this infection, is a, is a bacteria that's present everywhere in the environment. It has the ability to persist and spread in an inactive, inactive state known as spores, um, and they're very highly resistant to destruction or inactivation. And, and knowing that those spores exist nearly everywhere and are very easily transmissible, these C. difficile spores can be acquired in virtually any location at any time and can potentially result in disease. We, we understand very well that the primary risk factors for C. difficile infection are things like increasing age and underlying medical conditions, as well as exposure to the bacterial spores and antibiotic usage. And really, despite our best efforts to curb things like antibiotic utilization, which is a risk factor, there continues to be high use of antibiotics um, and that really is unlikely to change in the foreseeable future. And so this unpredictability necessitates the need for a prevention strategy for an individual that can be sustained over a prolonged period of time so that in theory, that individual could be protected during any antibiotic exposure period and in any period of time when they may come in contact with C. difficile spores. And then the final factor that supports the vaccine <clears throat> is that the, the current prevention matter, measures that, that I noted, at least with antibiotics, they really have limitations. There, there are multifaceted infection control strategies that are required to successfully minimize the risk for C. difficile infections. These strategies include measures such as healthcare worker education, hand hygiene, contact precautions, private room accommodations, enhanced environmental cleaning, and antimicrobial stewardship. As you can imagine, these measures are, are often complex to implement and, and unfortunately have shown inconsistent results. So when you take all of these challenges into consideration, it really is evident that there, there's a compelling need for an option that can help offer long-term long prevention of C. difficile infection. And it's Pfizer's goal to develop a vaccine that can help prevent C. difficile infection to offer a much-needed and more efficient approach to achieve longer-term protection. And, and with this in mind, throughout our developmental program, we considered the establishment of prolonged protection as a key determinant um, for our C. difficile vaccine. And so we're, we're obviously ver looking, we're very much looking forward to the results of our ongoing phase three trial to see if our vaccine can help address this large unmet medical need. 
Exactly. And Dr. Hopp, thank you so much for sharing that important information with our listeners. And uh, right now we're going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing C. difficile prevention, evaluating the roles of vaccines with our guest, Dr. Katherine Jansen, Senior Vice President and Head of Vaccine Research and Development at Pfizer Incorporated. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Join us on November 9th and 10th for the 5th Annual International C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Learn from the leading international topic experts and connect with corporate sponsors and exhibitors providing products and services combating C. difficile and healthcare-associated infections worldwide. For more information and to register online, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org or call one 877 2343. That's 1-844-4-C-DIFF. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the C. diff, spores, and more program, and we welcome our listeners joining us today. We welcome our guest, Dr. Katherine Jensen, Senior Vice President and Head of Vaccine Research and Development at Pfizer Incorporated and a member of Pfizer's Worldwide Research and Development Leadership Team. Dr. Jensen joins us today to discuss C. difficile prevention, evaluating the roles of vaccines. Welcome to the program, Dr. Jensen. Oh, well, thank you so much for being with us and taking time out of your busy schedule to share this important information. And we know that Pfizer has been working on the development of a C. difficile vaccine. Can you share what has gone into this process, even from the early stages? Sure. Um, as is always the case before starting um, a vaccine program, Pfizer Vaccine Research and Development colleagues were carefully evaluating the epidemiology of the disease to determine if a large unmet medical need indeed exists. And as Dr. Haupt so eloquently explained earlier, a large unmet medical need was very clear and apparent uh, for CDI right from the beginning of, the, of our program. So the next step then was to determine how the pathogen is actually causing the disease and our colleagues did experiments to reaffirm the pathogenesis mechanisms or the the mechanisms by which the pathogen actually causes the disease. And this required the development of sophisticated and well-characterized biological assays and disease models. So with the epidemiology and pathogenesis mechanism uh, clarified and also experimentally supported, the team then carefully designed the vaccine with the goal of comprehensive protection against the disease. An important aspect, uh, especially in the early research and development efforts, was how to actually produce the vaccine. In the case of C. difficile, we had many different options that were vigorously debated in the beginning. But in the end, we decided that based on the available data at the time, that it was best to produce the vaccine components so that they most closely reflected the pathogen components or the pathogenesis components elaborated by the pathogen itself, but of course in an inactivated form. So we decided to produce the vaccine components or antigens in an inactivated form in the pathogen itself. 
as the antigens are very, very large and complex molecules. So, for example, the, for example, these molecules have a very defined areas with different functions, such as areas for binding to um, human cellular receptors on the cells. They have areas that are involved in the uptake into the human cells. And they also have an area that releases an active protein form that then disrupts and interferes with important cellular machinery that ultimately leads to cell death and, of course, the symptoms of CDI. So we figured that C. difficile was a good production host for these inactivated antigens, that it actually has evolved the machinery to produce them very effectively over a long period of time. So this was not as easy, of course, uh, as always, um, to grow C. difficile because it turns out that C. difficile is, likes to grow in an environment without oxygen. So special containments and an atmosphere deplete of oxygen was required to grow this organism. So in the beginning, I'm sure my colleagues were not too happy that I insisted on this approach because it was difficult. But as always in science, many talented colleagues, of course, rally around problems. And in this particular case, they were uh, uh, tackling it uh, successfully. So finally, we also needed the help of new technology to manipulate C. difficile so that it could produce our vaccine uh, components. Uh, we also, of course, had to produce an organism that wouldn't uh, produce spores um, because you can imagine that nobody in their right mind would like to have a spore former in their manufacturing uh, facility because mm -hmm. spores are very, very hard to clean, as Dr. Haupt uh, explained earlier. And we also had to work out a brand new method to produce these large um, vaccine components to achieve the highest purity and stability in the final vaccine formulation. And then finally, we had also to validate our models in which to test the vaccine candidate, and we had to discover the most appropriate way to measure the vaccine responses. So you can imagine um, that this was a very long uh, process um, uh, based on what I just described. And um, we had um, what we call a lead vaccine candidate that was ready for clinical testing in about 2011. Uh, that was about four to five years after our early uh, initiation of our early R&D activities. And after demonstration of preclinical safety and um, actually manufacturing the clinical trial material, we were then ready to start our phase one study about the end of 2012. Um, so as is many times the case, we got some surprises in this early clinical development and that a formulation that just was very successful and worked great in preclinical models did not give us the desired phase one clinical data and required us to reformulate the vaccine and test it again then in the clinic in a larger phase two study. The second time around, though, um, we met our desired uh, criteria and decided to move forward. And today, I'm very happy to say that we have started the phase three um, a study, pivotal uh, phase three efficacy study earlier this year, and we are now testing whether our, our uh, vaccine candidate will actually be able to help prevent CDIs, CDI in individuals 50 years of age and older, and Dr. Mm -hmm. Weber will later on uh, provide a little bit more details um, Mm -hmm. And Dr. Jensen, thank you so much for providing us with all that information. And we, that's um, that's educational that uh, all of us uh, learned something new today. And thank you for that. And how does Pfizer's vaccine candidate work? Um, can you describe its mechanism of action? Sure, Nancy. Um, so in general, uh, vaccines... Um, our way of inducing the same or similar protective immunity that is typically observed as a consequence of a natural infection, but of course without having to pay the price of that infection and the disease. So Pfizer's um, candidate um, is designed to help protect against this 
uh, a C. difficile infection by targeting the main pathogenesis mechanism of C. difficile, which is which are the two main toxins that are produced by the organisms, and those toxins are called toxin A and toxin B. So we embarked uh, in the design of that vaccine using a new approach, which really aimed to preserve the native structure of uh, these toxins while rendering them to be non-toxic. And what we used was a genetic way to what we call detoxify both toxins rather than a chemical-only approach, which has been used historically for vaccines um, that address other toxin-mediated diseases. Also, like other vaccines that target toxin-mediated diseases, such as tetanus, anthrax, or diphtheria, our investigational vaccine candidate is designed to induce a functional antibody response in humans, and that functional antibody or immune response is capable of neutralizing the disease-causing toxins. So while we measured very strong neutralizing immune responses in our uh, Phase two study, our Phase three trial now is evaluating whether these toxin-neutralizing immune responses are sufficiently high and durable to protect humans against CDI. Okay, and Dr. Jansen, before we take a commercial break, the importance of demonstrating vaccine high efficacy that lasts over time was highlighted in a previous segment. Was Pfizer's vaccine designed in a way to specifically optimize these two elements? Yes, actually, before embarking on the R&D activities, and um, uh, evaluating uh, the, um, the pathogenesis, we had a very clear perception of the way the vaccine needed to be designed and what it had to accomplish. So we wanted to make a vaccine that would induce long-lasting protection in the target population of older adults, which required investigation of vaccine formulations and schedules early in the clinical development to define the vaccine candidate and formulation that we believed had the best chance to be safe and effective in people. Okay, and Dr. Jansen, can you describe how the results of the Phase 2 study gave you the confidence to progress into Phase 3? Yes, certainly. So the results of the Phase 2 study enabled us to move ahead into a pivotal Phase 3 efficacy study, but even before starting this Phase two study, we developed prospective criteria, what we call proof of concept criteria, that we had to meet in phase two, both with regard to safety and immunogenicity. So this approach is not uh, necessarily specific to the development of the C. difficile vaccine, but it is a general approach in our organization to establish objective and prospective uh, criteria to determine whether a vaccine candidate is ready for evaluation in a phase three study. Most of all, we always set prospective safety and tolerability criteria that we benchmark on data uh, obtained with other vaccines that already have been licensed um, for this age group. So we use comparators such as pneumococcal conjugate vaccines or vaccines to protect against diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis um, which are licensed for this, this and other age groups and are routinely used in the age group also targeted for C. difficile. So we had established uh, immune response uh, criteria also based on preclinical efficacy models and we had experience with monoclonal antibodies to protect against recurrent CDI. So we could put together a, um, so we had very good criteria that we all met in phase two that gave us um, confidence uh, to move forward into uh, pivotal phase three studies. Even though I'm very encouraged by the complete data set that we actually uh, had before beginning this pivotal study, only after we will receive the results of the phase three study, however, Uh, will we be able, together with regulators, to assess whether the vaccine um, is efficacious and safe? Um, 
Okay. Well, Dr. Jensen, we appreciate you sharing the research and vaccine design information with us today. Um, At this time, we're going to pause for a brief commercial break. And when we return, we will continue discussing C. difficile prevention, evaluating the role of vaccines with our guest, Dr. Chris Weber. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Join us on November 9th and 10th for the 5th Annual International C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Learn from the leading international topic experts and connect with corporate sponsors and exhibitors providing products and services combating C. difficile and healthcare-associated infections worldwide. For more information and to register online, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org or call one 877 2343. That's 1-844-4-C-DIFF. Join us on November 9th and 10th for the 5th Annual International C-Diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Learn from the leading international topic experts and connect with corporate sponsors and exhibitors providing products and services combating C. difficile and healthcare-associated infections worldwide. For more information and to register online, please visit the C-Diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org or call 1-844-367-2343. That's 1-844-4-C-Diff. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to Siege of Spores and More, and we welcome our listeners joining us today. We welcome our guest, Dr. Chris Weber, Senior Director of Vaccines, Clinical Research and Development, and Clinical Program Lead for Pfizer's Clostridium Difficile Vaccine. Dr. Weber joins us today to discuss C. difficile prevention, evaluating the role of vaccines. Welcome to the program, Dr. Weber. Thank you, Nancy. I'm glad to be here. Oh, well, we're so glad that you are joining your colleagues and taking time out of your busy day to um, share all of this important information with to our listeners. And when is the earliest Pfizer's vaccine candidate could be available to the public? Yeah, Nancy, that's a very good question, and I think it's on everybody's mind. Um, and But I can assure you that we really are doing everything we can to bring this vaccine to the market as quickly as possible. Um, Dr. Hart mentioned previously that the CDC has classified C. difficile infection, or CDI, as an urgent public health threat. And similarly, the FDA, or the Food and Drug Administration, has also acknowledged this. And what they've done is that they've granted Pfizer, um, our candidate vaccine, uh, fast-track designation back in August 2014. Having said that, though, we've just initiated our phase three, as, as Dr. Janssen previously mentioned. Um, it's too early to speculate in terms of the timing of completion of the study or the results because for this phase three study, because it's an efficacy study, it's an endpoint study, we require a predetermined number of, of, of cases of CDI um, in order to be able to, uh, to read out on the actual data for the study. Um, and once we've done that, there's a whole host of other steps that need to occur in terms of defining follow-up periods, uh, patient and analyzing the patient data, and then certainly if, if, the, if the results indicate that the vaccine is safe and effective, then it's subsequently filing with the regulatory authorities and putting the whole dossier together to, to submit um, for, for uh, consideration for licensure. Okay. 
And Dr. Weber, for those of us less familiar with the U.S. FDA and its processes, what is a fast-track designation? Yeah, so the fast-track designation is a process um, that the FDA designed to really help pharmaceutical companies bring therapies uh, to market and to, um, to, um, to the those people that really need them sooner. And what it helps do is actually expedite the review of the therapies um, to treat and to help pre- uh, prevent the serious conditions and to help fulfill that unmet medical need that is so critical. So the main purpose of the actual uh, fast track process is to facilitate a much higher level of engagement with the FDA to interact with them more frequently and also to, uh, to access them earlier uh, to potentially get these new uh, treatments, vaccines, therapies to the public earlier. So it really addresses a broad range of serious health conditions and C. difficile infection is one of them. Okay, Dr. Weber, for those, um, well, what clinical trials have been or are being conducted with Pfizer C. difficile vaccine candidate, and have any results of those studies been announced yet? So, Dr. Janssen mentioned that our, our clinical development started back in 2012, um, and since then, our vaccine candidate has completed multiple phase one and phase two trials. So, uh, since then, We've, we've had another phase two study that is currently ongoing uh, that, that Dr. Janssen mentioned. Uh, this is to help us determine the immune responses and the persistence over multiple years and also the ability to boost a vaccine-induced response. So in terms of actual uh, results being announced, nothing at this point in time simply because the study that is, uh, is currently ongoing right now, ongoing right now, pardon me. Oh, that's okay. And Dr. Weber, you mentioned that the phase three study was recently initiated. Can you tell us a little bit more about this study? Yes. So our phase three CLOVER study, and that's the name that we've given our study, and it stands for Clostridium difficile vaccine efficacy trial. It began enrolling early this year in the first quarter of 2017. Um, We started this trial in the United States, but we've expanded to include uh, many other countries. We're looking at enrolling approximately 16,000 subjects, so a large study, um, and we are targeting 22 countries in which to conduct the study. Uh, the study is placebo-controlled, which means we have uh, one arm that is active and another arm that is placebo um, in order to evaluate the actual efficacy, which is how well the vaccine works, as well as how safe it is and how tolerable it is uh, in, in terms of um, our study population. And we are looking at subjects who are in the 50 years and older age group um, who may be at increased risk to develop CDI uh, and who have not had previous episodes of CDI. So Dr. Help mentioned previously the various risk factors for acquiring CDI. And for our study, we are focusing on those which give us the highest likelihood of, of, of uh of identifying CDI cases. So these are, these are subjects and patients who've had previous healthcare visits where the likelihood of exposure to bacteria um, is much higher. And also, as he mentioned, you know, antibiotics is a major cause of CDI. So we're also looking to target subjects who have had uh, courses of antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Um, but as it's, as it's uh, our vaccine candidate is for the prevention of, of, uh, of first or initial or primary CDI cases. We've deliberately excluded subjects or, or, or patients who have had previous episodes of CDI because we really want to target those subjects who are at risk of developing CDI so that we can catch those, those cases early. Okay. And Dr. Weber, when do you anticipate your phase three trial to be complete? Another good question, Nancy. Thank you. And uh, as I mentioned, you know, the study is event-driven, which means we need to collect a certain number of, of primary CDI cases um, in order to sufficiently determine if the vaccine is efficacious. Uh, we don't know when that will occur, um, so we really can't speculate at this point in time. But, you know, it, it is being monitored on an ongoing basis, and, and we will certainly... Um, publish the results as soon as we we get uh, the data out and it's been submitted. 
Okay. Well, Dr. Weber, thank you so much for sharing the clinical development information with us today. Uh, We are going to pause for a commercial break. And when we return, we will continue discussing C. difficile prevention, evaluating the roles of vaccines with our guest, Dr. Richard Hopped, Vice President, Medical Development, Scientific and Clinical Affairs at Pfizer, where he serves as the global franchise lead for pipeline vaccines. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. To help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate or call toll free 1 844 4CDIF. That's 1 844 367 2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Join us on November 9th and 10th for the 5th Annual International C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Learn from the leading international topic experts and connect with corporate sponsors and exhibitors providing products and services combating C. difficile and healthcare-associated infections worldwide. For more information and to register online, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org or call one 877 2343. That's 1-844-4-C-DIFF. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? washed your hands. Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to C. diff, spores, and more, and we thank you for joining us today. We welcome our guest, Dr. Richard Hopped, Vice President, Medical Development, Scientific, and Clinical Affairs at Pfizer, where he serves as the global franchise lead for pipeline vaccines. Dr. Hopped joins us, t- joins us today to discuss C. difficile prevention, evaluating the role of vaccines. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Hopped. Thank you, Nancy. Oh, thank you for being here and taking time out of your schedule. And doctor, assuming the vaccine demonstrates safety and efficacy and that the U.S. Food and Drug Administration approves it, who do you envision would benefit the most from it? So so the answer to that question goes back to my earlier discussion about the um, the disease burden uh, of, of CDI, you know, who gets it, why they get it. Um, so, so let me just remind um, the audience of what I discussed earlier. So earlier I mentioned that there were several well-recognized important risk factors for um, developing CDI, and, and they had to do with um, <clears throat> exposure to the C. difficile spores. They have to do with underlying medical conditions and comorbidities um, and, and antibiotic exposure. Uh, 
And remember when we talked about the spores being everywhere? Well, exposure to those spores, in fact, often occurs in healthcare settings such as hospitals, outpatient medical and dental offices, and long-term care facilities. But, but given the fact that the spores are hardy and exist everywhere in the environment, um, it's been recognized recently that there's an increasing frequency of exposure um, that's now being seen in even the general community setting. Um, and then remember the, the individual who may be at risk. We know that inf- infection rates increase with increasing age. From the age of about 50 years of age and older, there's an increasing frequency of of C C difficile infection. It increases with increasing age. Um, And and that's a result of the the waning function of the immune system. But also, as I noted, it it has to do with adults having a higher rate of underlying uh, medical conditions. Things like we've mentioned before, like high blood pressure and cardiopulmonary disease, diabetes. Um, and as you can imagine, those underlying medical conditions lead those individuals to have more frequent contact with the healthcare setting, where C. difficile spores are even in more abundance. And unfortunately, some of those conditions lead to the need for antibiotic, um, appropriate antibiotic usage. But that then creates the recipe for um, the risk of developing a Clostridium difficile infection. So as you can imagine, um, CDI really disproportionately um, affects older adults. Um, About two-thirds of all cases in the United States occur in individuals who are 65 years of age and older. Therefore, the answer to your question is that's really one of the most important groups who should be receiving this vaccine. Um, but that's a, that does create a challenge as well. Um, so while adults, especially those older adults, are the most important age group, um, vaccination in this group um, um, can have some recommendation and implementation challenges. Um, in the U.S., adult vaccines are recommended, um, and they can either be recommended by policy groups um, as based on age, um, such as, you know, give the vaccine to everybody who is 60 years of age and older, or they can be recommended based on underlying risk conditions, um, which has been done for some vaccines. So for example, the adult hepatitis B vaccination recommendations in the US are an example of um, uh, risk-based recommendation. Um, The vaccine is recommended to certain risk groups um, as opposed to um, the herpes zoster vaccines, which are recommended for adults routinely um, at to everyone who's 60 years of age and older. And for pneumococcal uh, pneumonia, there's a recommendation to give give the vaccine to all adults 65 years of age and older. Um, And so, and why is that important? Well, historically, risk-based recommendations have often resulted in poor vaccine uptake, um, even in those at-risk groups that that they're being recommended for. And there are a number of reasons for that, but a lot of it comes down to uh, patient and provider confusion, not understanding the, the risk-based recommendations or who's actually at risk or identifying the right people. Whereas in contrast, age-based vaccine recommendations have been much more successful in achieving higher vaccination coverage in those age-based populations. Uh, ironically, including reaching individuals who are at higher risk of disease. So when you add that all up, given the high correlation of C. difficile infection incidence with age and the implementation challenges um, with a risk base and the advantages of an age-based approach, um, an age-based vaccination strategy beginning at 60 years of age or 65 years of age would really maximize the public health benefit for a C. difficile vaccine. Um, this, this kind of recommendation uh, obviously would be contingent on, on um, the, the final results of our clinical trial being successful and the FDA licensing the vaccine um, and, and hopefully the recommend bodies um, um, moving in the direction of recommending the vaccine for, for that uh, population based on age. Okay, and Dr. Haupt, assuming successful licensure, how do you envision a C. difficile vaccine being administered? Yeah, and, and for that, these are this then gets to the question of you know how does Pfizer envision that the how the vaccine could be implemented or delivered? Who would actually be the person that's the vaccinator? Um, 
what what we anticipate, um, as is true for other adult vaccines, um, we we see the vaccine administration of a CD vaccine to occur in all the typical delivery channels um, that are currently being used for adult um, vaccines, like influenza and pneumococcal pneumonia, zoster vaccine, and that's and that's through two primary channels, but there may be more, but primarily through the primary care provider who is the primary, uh, the, the, the healthcare physician providing primary care to the adult. And then also um, through retail pharmacy, as pharmacists and vaccineers, where that's allowed. Um, so it's really important that, you know, as we think about it from Pfizer perspective, that, that we need to ensure that the vaccine is, is really adequately stocked um, across all those multiple channels where, uh, where individuals may show up and seek vaccination. So that's the primary care provider, the pharmacist. Um, and we see that as, a, as, as vital to helping facilitate increased patient access and convenience, but, but also as, as well, it will help in, in um, the completing the, the, the compliance of completing the three-dose vaccine series. Um, and so, although I'm not going to go into any detail on that, um, it's also important to know that we're thinking about this complexity at a global level because we recognize that the implementation and delivery of the vaccine uh, may be different depending on different parts of the world we go, where, where the vaccine could be appropriately um, delivered. So we're thinking about this um, from, a, from a global perspective as well. Exactly. And we know, Dr. Hopp, that C. difficile infections is a global problem. So we thank you very much for sharing all of your information uh, with our global listeners today. Uh, you, Dr. Hopp, and Dr. Jansen and Dr. Weber have provided a wealth of information for patients, their families, and fellow healthcare professionals. And we certainly appreciate it. And we thank you very much for being here on the show today. You're welcome. Well, thank you. And we thank everyone for joining us today on C. diff spores and more. Please listen in every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific time, 1 p.m. Eastern time with our guests to discuss up-to-date information focused yet not limited to C. difficile infection prevention, treatments, clinical studies, environmental safety, and much more. Once again, we thank our official sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, for making this program possible. Please visit their website, cloroxhealthcare.com forward slash C. diff radio. We would also like to thank Synthetic Bio for being a diamond sponsor of the 5th Annual International C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo taking place on November 9th and 10th in Las Vegas, Nevada. For additional conference information and to register, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website, which is www.cdifffoundation.org. At this time, we send out our get well wishes to all patients being treated and recovering from a C. difficile infection and the many wellness-draining illnesses being combated across the globe. I'm your host, Nancy Corrala, with our reminder, none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We wish you good health and a good day. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Corrala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together.